Pretty yeah, well. Especially after being at the lake all day. <laughs> How was that? It was beautiful. You know, we planned on leaving about 11. We probably got out of here about 11.30. We got to the lake at 12.30. At 4.30, I said, we need to leave because I need to be back by 6. <laughs> at which point, we decided to trade cars, but my brother, whose car we were trading, was clear across the lake. So my other brother had to jog around the lake to let him know that we were trading cars because his car has the car seat for the two little ones. Ah. And so they, Ryan came back and we got everything together to go up and trade cars. And the other brother went, oh no, we need the skateboards and stuff. So they swam across the lake, pulling the little boat with them. And got there (laughs) just as we were leaving, at which point the two little ones figured out they were going to the skateboard park and decided that they had to go to the skateboard park. Uh. So the three-year-old has not had a nap. He is going to be in total meltdown. But Mm -hmm. yeah. I did what I could. <laughs> oh, I would so. have way rather been at a beach today than work. <laughs> oh, yeah. It Is was, it a holiday over there or something? Uh, no, but I'm off because I'm a teacher and I have the summer off. Oh, yeah, it's summer now. My <laughs> It is summer. Um, Sorry. <laughs> my one brother works from home and my other brother's kids are visiting, and so he brought them up. It's the first time I've actually met the three-year-olds, ever. Oh, really? Yeah. So, they're sort of on vacation, so we all decided to go to the lake. They're going, actually, home tomorrow. Mm. So, this was kind of our last hurrah. Ah. Oh, that's good. But it was very nice, and the water was just gorgeous, so nice. It was cold as you were getting into it, but once you got in, it was warm, and you know, it's this mountainous lake, so it's just real pretty. We took the dog, so she got to play in the water and swim a little bit. So, yeah, she doesn't like swimming. I grabbed her and drug her out, and she was like, ah! Uh, (laughs) Oh, goodness, still I'm yawning already. That's not a good sign. Mm -mm. I drank all the caffeine already. Huh? It is twenty to ten for you. Well, then we probably should. Like six there? Uh, yeah, six thirty-seven at this point. Let me just find a fic. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. It's on here already. That makes things easier. Yeah. No, my family was up for the weekend, so I was sleeping on the floor, and my parents had my double bed. Uh, so I didn't sleep terribly well this weekend. Uh. But I woke up at 6.30 this morning, and I went to bed at, like, 12.30. So, um, combine that with the previous night and not getting much sleep, it was a little bit of a long day. Yeah, sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I have more caffeine in the, in the other room. I'll be right back. Okay. I think I managed yeah. to not get sunburnt, which is good. My yeah, shoulders good. feel a little warm, but I was uh, good on the... Um, Sunscreen, so... Put hmm. some aloe on them, I suppose. Sure. Mm, yeah, That's I got sure. plenty of aloe. That's what they... Um, when I got sunburned at the stampede thing, because I hadn't put any sunscreen on, I looked it up on the internet, and that was the recommended thing to do, is treat with some aloe. sort of aloe gel or cream or something. Yeah, a friend of mine um, lives up the street from us with camping for the first time in years. You know, she's a grandma now, and they would tent camping. Mm-hmm. And they were out on the boat, and she got so badly sunburned on her hands that they almost blistered. And mm. so she, when she came over to pay me and to pick up the key, because I watched her dogs for her while she was gone, 
I said, you need some aloe. And I broke a piece off the plant and rubbed it on for her. And she was like, wow, that's amazing. That's the best I've felt in three days. So I gave her a couple of aloe plants that we have laying around. Yeah, I imagine the actual plant is probably even better than most of the gels and things they have. Yeah, although the gels and things I've been using a lot. I've used whenever I've gotten sunburn. It hasn't been much lately. I've been real careful, but... Luckily, my housemate had some uh, post-sun gel that I used quite a bit Mm -hmm. for that happened. Now I actually have sunscreen, so um, if I ever go out anywhere again, I will hopefully remember to use it. (laughs) I brought it along uh, when I was there, but we never were outside, so I didn't use it there. (laughs) Oh, well. I was just talking to Archie before everything um, got going about how I always have great intentions on the weekends about I'm going to sleep in and catch up on my sleep and get a good schedule again, and then Sunday night I will stay up until 1 o'clock or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever I happen to be doing. And, yeah. <laughs> in this case, it was looking up links, I think, for all of us. Yeah. Oh, well. Ah, who needs sleep? Mm. Now, I'm torn between the new book, because I'm reading J.K.'s new book, and uh, Doctor Who. Mm. So I've been trying to do that every, you know, at least one episode an evening. Are you watching the current things, or are you starting from earlier? Or? I've started with, I believe, Doctor Nine. Okay. So, so the new season the, one. Yeah, the first um, of the sort of reboot series. Mm-hmm. It's not really a reboot, but a revamping, whatever you call it, the modern version. Right. Hey, it ran originally from 65, 63? Something like I that. I think it must be 63, because I think it's, uh, there's a big anniversary coming up this year, um, to 86, I think it's the last, maybe wow. 87. It's the longest-running consecutive sci-fi series there is, I think. Mm-hmm. Or it was for quite a while. I think it's still is. Because they came up with the whole regeneration thing so they can have an actor stay for five years and then stick another one in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a smart idea. Mm-hmm. It sort of developed as they went along. They didn't originally um, come up with that idea. When they first um, did the switch over between the first Doctor and the second, mm-hmm. I think they called it Renewal, and it was supposed to be maybe just a younger version of the same man. But then when they switched to the third, there was more definite differences in that. By the fourth, I think they kind of worked out what they were doing with it. Yeah. They all seem very Welcome interesting. Back. I want to see episodes from more of them that I haven't. But, uh, mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I've only seen five so far, so I'm not very far. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the ones I got for Doctor from, Who. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. We were talking <laughs> about the, the earlier Who. ones and such, but mostly I haven't seen. I watched the very first episode that there was, which was interesting. It's kind of introducing the original ones, but they're, they're much slower paced, of course. All their stories are um, spread over four or five episodes. Right. And the earlier ones are in black and white. Um, and they have a different, the doctor is quite different to start off with. The, the first doctor is a grumpy old man. Um, so, a little bit more like the ninth one than any of the other ones, actually. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to see more of them sometime. I did see um, 
At some point during the fifth Doctor's run, there was a special called The Five Doctors, where they brought back um, all the, well, most of the actors who had done it previously. The first Doctor's actor had died already, so they got a stand-in. And the fourth Doctor uh, didn't want to come back to it so soon, because he'd been the longest-running one there until, uh, I think maybe still, actually. Um, and uh, he was kind of tired of it, so they just... Um, made a thing where he got um, trapped in the vortex when they were bringing all the different doctors in, so he didn't make it. But there was the first, second, third, and fifth, and they were very companions, so kind of that introduced cool. everybody a little bit. Yeah, very cool. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, we should probably start the actual podcast. Yeah, I imagine we should. For Friday, June 27th, this is episode 189 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Fanfic. The final frontier. These are the ramblings of the PFW peons. Their continuing mission to explore strange new stories. To seek out new authors and unending tangents. To boldly review where no one has done before. But I am Scott. I'm Sue. Rachel, can you hear us? I'm muted. (laughs) Okay, Uh try it again. Yeah, I'm Rachel. Yay! And today we are doing the third of three podcasts on Soulbound, our Star Trek Harry Potter crossover with where Hermione and her friends Harry and Luna get thrown into Reboot Fox World. There they are. And we are just about to start, I believe, in these chapters, the actual events of the 2009 movie. Because before, up to this point, we've been sort of doing backstory and building up things, and mm-hmm. none of the actual um, stuff covered in the movie has happened yet. Right. Although they know some of it's coming. Yeah. So we're starting with uh, Kirk's trial after he basically sabotaged the Kobayashi Maru test. Did mm-hmm. I say that right? I did that for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you said it the way they said it in the movie anyway. Oh, good. <laughs> and, um, yes, in this version of things, Spock is, he's kind of approving of what Kirk did because he understands humans a little better, I guess. And they're sort of going with, he, en- he ends up acting similarly to the movie to start with because in this first scene, he's talking it over with Jonathan Archer, who is from uh, the Enterprise series that mm-hmm. I haven't seen, the sort of prequel series that they did at one point. Yep. Uh, and uh, he doesn't think these charges against Kirk are fair because he did manage to win through and uh, he's noticed some interesting statistics with people who, how people take the test and who gets into the command track. 
right. the, the academy. And the people who go into it knowing that nobody ever wins Kobayashi Maru and don't bother trying never get into the command track. The people who try and fail sometimes get in, and the people who go in expecting to win always get in. Yeah, 73% <laughs> of them do. Mm -hmm. So that's good. And apparently there's somebody named Barnett who's, I don't know if it's like Spock's uh, secretary <laughs> or however, I mean, I'm that's sure. kind of what. And he's well, very um, adamant. In this case, it's the um, it's the prosecutor, basically. It's the um, the admiral who's filed the charges. Right. And that he's also it's a relative of his is um, is Spock's oh, okay. aide or whatever you want to call it. Aide, that's a good word. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Works much better. And so Barnett's upset. He says that reprogramming this simulation is cheating. And I like what Spock says. A good general cheats on every battlefield. <laughs> so, I remember that line. You know, basically, and, and later on, Kirk says something about it, too. And he says, I don't like that there's no way to win this, this sim because there's always something you can do. It might not work. But there's always something you can do. And if you teach people that there's a no-win situation, then they're going to just give up. And I do remember... Sorry. Go ahead. Um, well, because I rewatched the movie last week, because um, I didn't remember a thing from it. Um, but I, I think I remember him saying that in the actual one as well, um, in the, the movie part. That, uh, Could be, yes. I don't know. I yeah, watched it in over a year as well. So mm -hmm. I don't yeah, it came out quite a while ago. Um, but no, I, I really like how, like... Some of the stuff changes, and some of the stuff is still, like, same, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, it makes sense for some of it to change, because uh, just because Spock is friends with some new people, that wouldn't necessarily change any of the other people's reactions to stuff. So right. Just, some of it should be the same. Yeah, yeah. I think I was thinking for a second of, actually, Scott, you mentioned the uh, the newer one she did, the author, um, and I think... For a second, I was thinking of that one because I was going to make a comment about, but that's not, that's the wrong story. I'm getting mixed Ooh. up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I probably shouldn't have mentioned those until after. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. It was I a good story. It, but, uh, not this one. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's okay. Yeah, oh, well. But, uh, um, I never mentioned other fiction the stories we covered. Oh, no, never. Uh -oh. Never, never. Never. That would be bad. <laughs> We never um, go off on tangents. What are you talking about? No. <laughs> no. Well, you, you did mention we sometimes might could do, like, discussions as opposed to more, like, going through and talking about each section individually. So I don't know. That is true. Is there mm -hmm. anything like that in this section? Yeah. So ba basically what happens in this bit is that Archer agrees with him that um, Kirk made a good call to try and change things, but he's also arrogant and kind of needs to be taken down a couple of pegs. So uh, it's uh, it's good for him to have this little bit of adversity to start with. Yeah. Um, so he suggests, um, even though Spock believes he was charged wrongly, he, he should just go to the trial and give them all the facts. Just go through and critique Kirk's character on strengths and weaknesses. And try not to mention what he's figured out about the whole command track thing, because they like to keep that to themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then we have poor Kirk, who's, you know, expected that he'll, he's gonna be in front of a disciplinary board, but he hadn't expected it to be in public in front of the whole academy with a full table of admirals. And so he's, you know, 
and he realizes what, and he calls him the bastard Barnett was trying to pull, because he knows that Barnett's not, you know, he's, Barnett's the one that's after him. Yeah, he doesn't like him very much, because he doesn't follow protocol. No, which is what they need in this new world, this new civilization, but we won't go there. And so he, you know, asks to face his accuser, and so they call Spock forward. Cadet Kirk, evidence has been submitted to this council suggesting that you violated the ethical code of conduct pursuant to regulation 17.43 of the Starfleet. Is there anything you care to say before we begin, sir? Yes, I believe I have the right to face my accuser directly. Step forward, please. This is Commander Spock. He is one of our most distinguished graduates. And, you know, Barnett's just, he's an idiot. Pointy-eared bastard. He's just, he's trying way too hard. He's being gracious because he thinks he's in the right. And then once uh, Spock starts talking and says, you know, I think what Kirk did was probably right. He might have violated regula- regulations, but he passed the Kobayashi Maru, and Barnett just turns purple, you know? And this is not how it's supposed to go. <laughs> no, he's expecting it to be very different, and, and it's not turning out that way. And, uh, so, uh, Spock, with the, um, the point of order that Kirk went, that Kirk did break by, um, uh, making a, getting illegal access to Starfleet, Starfleet property, mm-hmm. so he can be charged for that. But he can't be charged for cheating because he didn't really cheat. It doesn't count. He didn't. I, I did like that bit because, like, I can just imagine Kirk's face being like, wait, wait, he's on my side? Awesome! And then he's like, no, 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 you can still charge him for this. And he's like, oh. Yeah. But, and then I like this part because uh, Kirk says, you know, I tried submitting requests for a more realis- realistic evaluation. And they kept getting rejected in spots like, uh, I never received any requests. I might have to uh, talk to my person who, my TA, oh, who happens to be uh, Lieutenant Barnett. Hmm, I wonder if there's anything else he failed to tell me. And Admiral Barnett starts to uh, stiffen because he's just realized he's been called out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before anything can happen, then uh, they come in and somebody comes rushing in and says, We've received a distress call from Vulcan. With our primary fleet engaged in the Laurentian system, I hereby order all cadets to report to Hangar 1 immediately. Dismissed. Yeah. And all the cadets have to go to assignments, and mm-hmm. Spock's going through and slotting all the people Hermione told him about onto the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. I kind of wondered how she knew that, like, if the Q told her that. I couldn't remember. I think the um, Q probably did. Yeah, I don't think it was maybe men. He gave her this vision of all the stuff that was going to happen, and I imagine he was treated in that. Yeah. I I thought it was sort of like a vision, like, this could happen, you could save it. I didn't know how much information they actually got about how to save it. Mm -hmm. I Q gave her as much information as he possibly could. And I think that part of it is just that she's researched and she's figured out who all the really brilliant people are. And those are the people that she wants on board. That would make sense. That's true. So. Yeah, she probably would have gone through the records and things herself and gone, oh, I recognize that person and that person from what I saw them do. She's been teaching for a little while. I guess she's been there a while enough to see people's faces. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So the only person that Spock can't get on board is Kirk. 
because he's uh, been relieved of duty. But that's okay, because Bones takes care of that. And once he knows that Bones is going to do it, and he just kind of ignores that and gets himself ready. Oh, you're going to get a really bad ink on this table? Yeah, you owe me. Good, James Dean. It's not care to duty aboard the animal. Medical boats treat and transport patient discretion, which means, so I take the curve forward. Would you like the cat pie while the Enterprise works twice without one of senior medical? So that basically happens as it did in the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we have Pike. And, and of course, from the show, we know that they don't release the clamps. So they're last out of the gate, which is what saves their lives, basically, when they get to Vulcan. Because the other ship's waiting for them. And and we don't see that here. But if you've seen the movie, then you kind of know that's what happens. And we have Christopher Pike, who's wanting to pace, and he's trying to figure out, you know, what he's supposed to do because the Enterprise is supposed to be going on a shakedown cruise, and instead of that, he's got all these brand new cadets going into battle, and he's just worried about him. And all of a sudden, he's like, where in the, where the heck is Spock? And Spock comes in and says, uh, I need to speak to you in private. And he's like, I'm a little busy now. And Spock's like, you want to hear this. Mm -hmm. And so... Relates to what's going on with Vulcan. The first part of his report is basically, it's going to be a trap. Because we had certain information that we can't prove enough to present to the Admiralty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically, the psychics have told us, and, and you humans don't believe in our psychics, so it wouldn't do any good for us to have said anything. Mm -hmm. And he kind of explains about Hermione, um, lets him know that he's bonded with her and that they have a certain connection and that she is a very powerful psychic. So he believes her unconditionally. And they're like, whoa, Vulcans are expressing emotion. What is this? Yeah, something's wrong here. But because he's expressing emotion, it's almost more of a, a sign to yeah. Pike. Because if he was his normal and flappable self, then Pike might not have reacted the way he did. But because he sees the emotion, he understands that Spock really does believe this. And that it's something that he really ought to take into account. Mm -hmm. so. And this is when he also lets them know about their Vulcan priests and priestesses. Some of them have this ability to see things that are going to happen or are happening elsewhere. And mm -hmm. they've been having these dreams for quite a while. So they knew something was coming, even if they didn't know what it was exactly. Right. But uh, they couldn't really tell the Federation because everybody thinks of Vulcans as these entirely logical, scientific people, and they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't get the whole precognition thing. Right. So, um, I know we established last week we're not terribly expert on Vulcans in this podcast, but are they normally psychic? Um, yeah, they can do the, they can at least do the mind melt thing, which is a touch, uh, touch telepathy sort of thing. Um, okay. so we know they have that gift. I don't know if the, the extensions of it and such that she's used here are also shown in the show or not, but, um, oh. she's sort of Sorry. taken the, the fact that they're gen they're sort of this mildly telepathic and that's why they don't touch very much. Mm -hmm. Um, and extended remember? that to all the other sort of side talents that we, um, hear about in stories and things. I, I do remember an episode that I was watching, um, in, uh, Next Generation where like there's the really, really old ambassador mm -hmm. and he's getting, he's got this disease like the Vulcans get when they get really old 
where he can't control his emotions very well, like mm-hmm. really badly. But because they have emotions, they're just really strong, so they have to be really good at controlling them. But right. it was like it was basically like tele like tele broadcasting like through telepathy to like the crew members, and like the emotion was going going on to them, and like they were getting to random fights because because there was the telepathic thing. Right. So, that does sound like it's from somewhere. Yeah, it's not, just, uh, it's not that the Vulcans don't have emotion. It's just that they're very, very rigid in controlling it. And so mm-hmm. if it gets out of control, then things kind of go nuts. So, yeah, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And the funny bit with this effect is um, Spock, having had this conversation with Pike already, said, okay, we're going into a trap. This is why we know. And then they come out of the room and run into the scene from the film where mm-hmm. Kirk is trying to convince him, it's a trap, it's, it's a, a trap, trap it's a trap. trap. <laughs> we were talking about that. Yeah, we, uh, we figured that out already, know. thank oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, but I like Pike because he's like, uh, I've been informed, but tell me, what is your proof, Kirk? And Kirk's, like, confused because all of a sudden, you know, he's been fighting for this and all of a sudden he's been told they know it's true, but now he has to still prove it. So he takes a minute and he talks about the transmission that Uhura had gotten uh, that we talked about last week on the last podcast and that the, one of the um, outposts had been kind of destroyed. Mm-hmm. Which is how we figured things out in the in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got I to say, um, like, the scene where he, like, is running down the corridor but, like, still can't talk terribly well and kind of all numb the mm-hmm. antidote or whatever. Um, it, it, and you just picture him just stopping being like, wait, what a second? And he just, like, just really stops the dramatic tension. Like, no, no, we know already. No, it's fine. Just, but, but how do you know? Right. And what I like, it's not in this fic, but we've already decided that we're sort of crossing over, but in one of the other two, and I don't know if it was the one by this author or if it was the one that um, Desi gave us last week, but one of the ones, because I I read them both, he was, um, actually, I think it was probably this one because it ties in with something that happened a little bit later in this, that Kirk had some very severe food allergies, and... So, um, part of what Bones has done is just hit him with stuff that he's allergic to, and that's what made him swell all up. Uh. And that does not come from the movie. I mean, the swelling part did, but the allergies doesn't come from the movie. I think that she just kind of put that in herself, but I thought it was a really interesting way to do it. No, he does fall up in the movie because his hands get all weird. Right, but I, but we don't know what he's injected with in the movie. You don't know he's injected with an antidote to, like, he, he, he sticks him in with the, um, what do you call it? It's like, when you have, when you have a virus, you get, uh, an ino- inoculation. Right. And he's, but he's allergic to the inoculation, too. And, and okay. I've read that he's allergic to that in one of the other two fix that I had already read, so. I don't remember it from the other one by this author, so it might be the other one. Yeah, who knows? I listened to them back to back, so I had them slowly mixed up, and I wasn't sure which <laughs> one was did. which. But anyway. oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's always interesting because I didn't really have anything to compare it to when I first read it. So mm-hmm. having read the other one, I was like, oh, and there's a difference. Yuhura gets uh, sort of promoted to the bridge crew because she's the only one that is fluent in the dialects that they need, mm-hmm. and. Kirk lets him know about, you know, his proof, which makes uh, perfect sense, and it all works together. 
Mm-hmm. And, and Uhura has a, um, a smug moment because now she's on the bridge and she gets to prove to Spock that she's uh, um, adult and capable of handling responsibilities. And uh, mm-hmm. she still hasn't she quite worked out what's going on with him. No. <laughs> yeah. She missed the I have a fiancé conversation. She's going to mm-hmm. be in for a rude awakening sometime. Oh, yeah. In the yes, shortly. Very shortly. So, so we skip over a large portion of time here because at this point, mostly everything follows as it does in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to where Jim is refusing to let Pike go and uh, surrender to, um, Nero. to Nero. And he basically says, makes more sense for me to surrender and leave you to go in and fix things than for me to try and do anything when I have a busted leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he lets him know. And this is just the scariest thing for me. It's this this outer space free fall thing that they do when they free fall to get onto the platform. And in the oh. second movie, when they free fall to get to the ship, it's like, that is the most insane thing I have ever seen. I mean, skydiving and stuff like that, I get. But this is outer space. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. And there is actually a guy who has done that now. Yeah, I um, know. Well, he fell into the Earth. He didn't really have to... Like, if they miss the other ship, they just keep going until they run out of oxygen and die. They're mm-hmm. spacesuits. Oh, that's just true. But, uh, but yeah, that's I guess the closest we've ever got to actually doing that. But yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Well, the Sorry. term they I use in here is orbital skydive, which yeah. I think is pretty much what he did. Mm-hmm. He was skydiving from orbit. So not quite. That would be I guess you're still in the atmosphere, but it's pretty much as high up as anyone has gone to try and do that. So we've got Pike over on the other ship. Kirk is down. Kirk and I think it's Sulu. I'm not positive about that. Are down uh, trying to turn off the ray gun. And mm-hmm. Spock is resisting the urge to pace the bridge because he knows kind of what's going down, and he doesn't like it much. Mm-hmm. He wants to go and rescue Hermione, but the transport is not working because everything is going nuts on Vulcan. And Chekhov is having trouble recalibrating everything to try and make it work. And then he... Uh, notices something else that's going on on the planet. There's these unusual, unusual energy signatures happening all over the place. And Spock knows what's going on because Hermione and Luna and Harry have been working on these spell batteries and they're going to try and uh, cast the spell on the planet, basically. Yeah. And uh, the seismic thing is, is making basically earthquakes. Seismic tremors happen. And what Hermione and crew are doing has stopped these tremors a little bit. I mean, not completely, but it's really slowed down. And, you know, Chekhov's just going nuts. I don't know what's happening, but this is, ah. And Spock's like, don't worry, it's an experimental model. Just, you know, everything's going fine. And then finally Uhura says, the communications and transporters are working. And Kirk's like, Enterprise, we could use a quick pickup here. Uh, Spock orders them beamed up, and the the guy the, is saying, uh, they're falling too fast, I can't get them. And Chekhov's like, Captain, I can do it, I can beam them up. And yeah, he's got all the 
equations and such in mind that we can work through. And he goes. He heads off for the transporter room. The transporter room, which was a great scene, also in the movie. I love watching him run. I'm trying. I can't let on your signal. You're moving too fast. I can do that. I can do that. Do it now! Go, 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 go! Hold on! Hold on! Compensating gravitational pull and... <laughs> I can do it. Yeah. I like how they have, like, the swirly transporty things. I don't know what you call this. And they have swirls around them instead of just, like, sparkly people mm-hmm. while they beam. It was a nice way to modernize it. Yeah. Well, you know the like, original transporter beams are glitter and water, right? Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. I did not. They swirled glitter and water, and that's how that's how they made that effect. Oh, you mean how they made it? Yeah. They, that was actually like a physical thing? Well, when they filmed it, they had to film it. I mean, back then they didn't have CGI and stuff like that, so they had to have something. So what they filmed was glitter being swirled in water, and it, you know, went around and around and around, and then they just kind of superimposed that with the footage of the actors. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, like, really, it was kind of baffling. I was like, I wonder, do they have that kind of, like, CGI that happened, or is that, like, but no, that's super cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. now hopefully I'm right and remember two things where uh, I don't yeah. I don't know um, what they were doing specifically with Star Trek, but I think even at that point they were having things where they would actually draw effects on the the film frames, but that was a long and tedious process. And then there were things like uh in in Star Wars for example, um the opening text thing that they do mm-hmm. is that was printed out on a big roller thing that they literally rolled past the camera. Someone was moving a crank to film that. Right. Um, things like that. So it's interesting to see, um, to find out what people use for various effects, right. uh, whether it's visual or sound effects yeah. or all sorts of things. I think I've told the story before about how they, um, people in radio used um, bits of coconut to do um hoofbeats when they were doing radio shows and the the guy was going off on his horse. And then when things, when microphones and such improved enough, they tried using actual hoofbeats from a horse and people wouldn't believe it Mm -hmm. because that's not what it's supposed to sound like. (laughs) Oh, coconuts. Okay. I I was thinking like coconut, shredded coconut. Never mind. I got it now. (laughs) No, like the shell. Yes. As in Monty Python. Monty Python, yes. Jars of coconut and you're banging them together. So? I googled the, it's aluminum powder, not glitter. But yeah, you're right, Sue. Oh, good. We won't have people writing in. They, 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 well, it wasn't water, or it was something, it was something like that. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> He's close. I was close. Yeah. I, I didn't read the entire thing totally, but, uh, powder and really lots of light. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Kirk coming back on the bridge and he's like, okay, now what are we going to do? And Spock's like, we wait. Kirk's like, what do you mean we wait? They're destroying this your is planet. Not yeah. This is not logical, Spock. <laughs> Spock's like, well, yeah, it is, but you don't know it. Control yourself. 
Mr. Kirk, or I will have you thrown into the brig. Mm-hmm. And then we get a, uh, a note from Chekhov down in the transporter room that, um, unless he came in again with Kirk. So, oh yeah, yeah they did. He did. Uh, so yeah, he's back on the bridge. Um, the Vulcan, the Narada has just launched something at Vulcan and it's going to go into this crack that they've been drilling. And he's really hoping that they manage to not blow up the planet. And he just sort of screams across his little, their mental bond that they should really, whatever they're doing, they should do it right now. Yeah. Do it quick! Or it's too late! Because he, he saw the small, insignificant tube flying down toward the planet, and every instinct screamed that the tube is dangerous. I'm not sure yeah. how he knows that, but you know. <laughs> well, I mean, after what's, everything that they've seen going on there, they, they would imagine that it's dangerous. I'm just trying to imagine, like, I'm trying to think of a movie, like, if it was that big that they could actually see it from there or not. Well, they've mm-hmm. got it on the, the big screen, and I think that they can, like, magnify that. I guess they've so. got optical zoom on that thing. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Probably. And then we have the entire bridge crew watching in horrified shock as reality begins to twist like some unknown hand was twisting existence into a knot, hiding Vulcan itself behind a void. The sensors screamed as gravitational forces in the surrounding space tore the Enterprise out of her stable orbit and down. And Spock's like, okay, pull us back now! And, uh, <laughs> Kirk's like, uh, where'd Vulcan go? What's going on? The planet just disappeared, what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, was was a... it from the Narada? What, what, did they do that? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. like, <laughs> and it's a black hole, it just swallowed a planet! Except that there, there isn't one still there, so it obviously isn't really, it's just really weird. Mm-hmm. And we shift to Kirk's point of view, and he's just watching Spark and doesn't know what to think, because he's just sitting there in his captain's chair like nothing happened, and the planet just vanished. He's uh, kind of yeah. being disparaging of Vulcans in general, and then... Mm-hmm. Uh, he not realize what happened? The planet's gone! Yeah. But, uh, different from the movie in that it's not actually gone. Mm-hmm. This is what they were planning to do, and only Spock knows that. Right. Yeah. really makes a difference in how you react to something when you know it's going to happen. Yeah, when you know it's going to happen, it does make a little bit of a difference. And Kirk's like, uh, you know what, I've just figured out they're going to go after Earth next. And Spock's like, well, given what I know, the likelihood of narrow targeting Earth is 98.73%. And Jim's like, so let's go! And Spock's like, no, we're going to wait. He's like, what's going on? No more waiting, I don't like this waiting (laughs) stuff. But... They have to wait because they need to get the wizards on board. Yeah, they mm-hmm. need them. Unfortunately, they're not telling Kirk that, so Kirk's <laughs> contemplating how to uh, relieve Spock of duty at this point, I think. They don't actually say that, but I know enough of Kirk to know that that's what he's thinking. He's like, okay, yeah. I'm going to take Spock's over. Lost it. <laughs> he's just yeah. sitting here because he's in shock because his planet vanished. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. So is everyone else. They don't know what happened either. Yeah. And he's like, Captain, we have to go. And Spock's like, what? What can we do? There is no way that this little ship can take out the Narada. It's it's not feasible. 
She's taken out everything. She took out, you know, half a Starfleet already, plus a planet, which she didn't really do, but they don't know that. So, you know, we're going to wait. Mm-hmm. Kirk's like, what are we waiting for? And I love Spock's response. For a few aces, Mr. Kirk. <laughs> yeah. He wants better resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's, and then there's another thing. note from Chekhov, because gravity's going weird again. Mm-hmm. It's a similar flux, like just before Vulcan was consumed. And Spock's like, hold your position and prepare for gravity surges and use the tractor beam to keep any smaller crafts from getting drawn in. And Jim's like, uh, what is going on? And your hero's like, Captain, something's happening! And there comes Vulcan again. Vulcan pops back into place. And they're like, what the heck just happened? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And Spock says, are there any transmissions from the planet? As a matter of fact, there are. Yes. Not sure how, but uh, there we go. It's from the private estate of Ambassador Sarek. Put it on screen now! Mm-hmm. And we have Harry with his little... And I love because he looks more Vulcan now, so people don't really yeah. realize that he's a hybrid, but he's got this British accent, which I'm sure is just <laughs> weird. That cracks me up so much. It's mm-hmm. like whenever Harry was talking to someone, and they're like, wait, is he Vulcan? What's he sound? What? Why is he talking like Harry? What is this? And we uh, find out that 420 priestesses, or 415 priestesses and monks are dead, because yeah. they tra- channeled the... Medallion. Yeah. And t is in a healing trance, but she's expected to recover. Luna's in an induced coma, because she had a massive cord drain. And Hermione is in a self-induced healing trance. But she'll be well in about three hours. But we're not going to be able to do this on Earth. There is no way. We don't have enough people left. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they lost a lot of people. Yeah. And Luna's not going to be up again for ten days at least. Right. Yeah. And their energy group... Never mind. (laughs) Oh, I have a half a cup of Diet Coke and that's it. So I've been sipping it. (laughs) Trying to keep that caffeine going. Yeah, pretty much. So Spock calls the sick thing and the... Ordinary doctor has been killed now, so McCoy is the new senior officer available. And he lets him know there's going to be two more patients, both Vulcan human hybrids, being transported in. And um, there will be, um, he says, I don't know anything about how to treat Vulcan hybrids. Yeah, well, you can learn. It's about time you learn. And he says, Kirk, come with me. And he starts to walk and sort of explain. Kirk wants to know where they're going. They're doing a walk and talk. Yeah. And we're yeah. going to go and meet our guests in the transportation room. Okay. And so they start beaming people up, and we have Vulcan females in their teens that come up, and then older females, and an elder wearing white robes, and mm-hmm. Spock kind of greets them all. And, and these are all from the, the priestesses who would never go off planet usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they have the same Yeah. And then we do the second beam up and we get Harry and Hermione coming up. Um, did they bring Luna with them? I don't think they did. I think she might still be there. Um, are there more people that are not really? I'm not sure. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't think so, because there's the healer that came for uh, Hermione slash Tamiya. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I don't think they mentioned any other one. Mm-hmm. They would probably have done that as well. Yeah. Uh, they don't mention him by name, but uh, the <laughs> ambassador and then uh, Scott Colton Dad, basically. So. <laughs> I, I love that there was a, I would call it a glossary, because I was like, what are these words? Yeah. I don't know what they are. I guessed some of them, but I found the glossary after I read the whole thing. So. Yeah, because oh, the cool. glossary is kind of at the ba- at the bottom of each chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we will put that yeah, in our show notes. Mm-hmm. All right. mm-hmm. uh, There's a link to art as well, but it's apparently gone, which is too bad. Oh, yeah, that is oh. too bad. Well, there oh, well. Uh, reading these two fanfics is maybe one of, like, there's so many years of Star Trek fandom fanfics. I'm just like, maybe I can read some of those ones now that I know what's sort of going on. Maybe. Yeah. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll read the Lucas on Harry Potter now. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, McCoy. He's, you know, introduced to, to Laura, who's... Tamiya's attending doctor, and they head to sickbay, um, and Spock just lets him go, even though he wants to stay, or he wants to go with her. And you can tell that Kirk has questions, but Kirk's restraining himself to follow orders, and he's hoping that Kirk's obedience will last a little longer. (laughs) So, a bunch of trunks have come up, too, and so they're moving those trunks to Spock's quarters, which Kirk thinks is really weird. Why aren't they putting him in the VIP suite? But he's still following orders. And he goes into a meeting with Spock and Harry and several others. And uh, Harry pretty much says, if you want to know what happens, you should wait for Timia to wake up. And Spock's like, that's illogical. I love that bit. And Harry Sorry. says, for me to share information I'm uncertain of, Timia was the one who designed the system. You know she and Taloon practically created the necessary maths when conventional methods failed. I only understand in the most general and broadest sense. And so Spock's like, all right, fine. Just tell us what you can tell us. And he says, we're not going to be able to do that again. We lost almost 70% of the super keepers. And we might be able to do the ship, but that's if we're lucky and we recover quickly enough. And basically the plan is to head for Earth and hope to intercept the Narada before it gets there. Yeah. So they leave Harry in his room. And they head for sick bay, and Kirk's like, uh, don't we need to tell them to head for Earth? And Spock's like, I already told him that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he lets Kirk know that Tamiya is his bondmate, his fiance. And then, uh, well, somebody, somebody gives him a drink. Yeah, Bones. <laughs> hands him something very strong, because yeah. he had no idea that Spock was... Engaged, let alone so bonded. Yeah, he gives him the. He says that she, uh, Spock says he's Tamiya is his fiance, and then Bones gives him a drink, and then they tell him that. Oh, by the way, no, like they're pretty much married by Vulcan centers, and then he's like, but but what? No, what? Why is she on different planets? What? What? Yeah. I couldn't even tell. And they're like, yeah, you can't tell Vulcans. Just go get the rest. But actually, if you watch these two together, you can tell. He hasn't had enough time watching them together. Yeah, yeah he wasn't. You also don't really get the, like, quiet, like, talking to the person next to you, whatever, because they do it all in their mind. So it's like, they never interact with each other, but you can tell. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but Hermione likes to touch. That is true. 
<laughs> and when the only time Kirk saw them, he was more interested in her bike anyway, so. That's true. Yeah. She was wearing leather, or no, pleather. The pleather, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like this next part. We've gone to the next chapter. Because Harry kind of meets a girl here. Mm-hmm. I think oh, yeah. he kind of likes her. We don't come right out and say it, but I'm thinking that maybe there's a little something going on here because he's the last of the three to actually find somebody. So uh, she's yeah, a nurse. He finds his attention being drawn more towards her and tries to, you know, focus. We're going to what she actually talking about. She's telling him something about Hermione, which is good to know. Yeah. Are you okay? You look a little bit tired. She's like, oh, no, I'm just staring at you because you're pretty. Um, she doesn't say that, fine, but, you know. So, yeah. You know. And, and she's yeah, like, uh, I am tired. I am tired, but, but I, can't I don't rest. have much And mm-hmm. I like this. If I sleep, I won't wake up. She's like, that doesn't make sense. And I think what he means is if he goes to sleep, he won't wake up in time to do what he needs to do. So she talks him into resting, and she's going to talk to him and keep him awake. Yeah. And we find out it's Christine Chapel. Yep. Yeah. And I knew who she was this time. kind of fun. I don't... I, I think, think she did show up in the movie, but she didn't really get to do much, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she didn't do much, but I, I did remember her. I was, it was interesting to see that... Sorry, I know I keep talking about, like, I've seen it way long ago, and then I saw it again, but it was interesting to watch, like, the older versions of the show, and then see the movie, and, like, see the people that kind of match up. Right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was what I noticed, was like, oh, yeah, minor characters, they still had them kind of in there. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. Makes me want to watch the movie again. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I should say, you're welcome, Wilbur, sorry. I don't know what time, though. <laughs> That's all right. So I love that Harry's, he's not quite sure how it happened, but he's in this very personal conversation with this pretty blonde nurse, and she's listening without judgment and has genuine empathy for him. Mm-hmm. And They're having tea and shortbread. Mm-hmm. And she's uh, patting his hand, so she's actually, like, touching people in public. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. All these Vulcans never, ever do this, so he's not used to this anymore. Mm-hmm. But he kind of likes mm-hmm. it, so he's not telling her yeah. to stop. She doesn't realize that it's a telepathic connection thing, so every time she does that, he gets a sense of what she's thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, deep and tranquil, underlying strength and veiled key. That was a nice line. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, like, I like this because they're talking and, and he's explaining Hermione. She's like a sister to me. And Spock cut her out of his life once because she was a distraction and it might be illogical. I had concerns when he declared Kunutsulik and she accepted. And she's like, what does that mean? And he says, well, it's like a marriage proposal. Uh, they won't actually get married for a few years, but they're bond mites and bond, bond mites, yeah. Bond mates <laughs> and they're considered spouses, and then there's this plastic cracking, and Uhura is snuck in when they weren't looking, and has overheard this, and all of her dreams for Spock have just gone crashing down to the floor with her PADD. Yeah. She yes. dropped her phone. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah. She's got to explain that she was just there to talk to Christine, who was her classmate, not not to overhear or eavesdrop or nothing. And then we've got some beeping going on because Hermione's starting to wake up. Mm -hmm. So they don't have time for her to freak out. I like this little um, 
conversation that they have. Uh, McCoy says, oh, well, it looks like she's waking up. And her doctor says, well, the term waking isn't entirely accurate. And Spock says, yes, but it's the closest you can get in standard. But it's not right. <laughs> I know. But continue to use it because Dr. McCoy doesn't understand Vulcan translations. Oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Uh, it, it kind of made me go, eh, well, but it, but it didn't use me. Mm-hmm. And I love that Yuhura is torn between running and staying, but she's too curious to leave, so she just kind of melts into the background so she can still find out what's going on, but hopefully not get caught. Yeah. And uh, Christine going, goes to check on her, and we've got popping sounds and sparks flying, because we all know what Hermione and electronics oh. is like. Which... I don't know that I would have wanted to put her in a spaceship. <clears throat> that could be very dangerous. Mm. Hopefully, yeah. know what's going on. I think, uh, no, it was the other thing we mentioned, like, if she got too upset, and things tend to, you know, Explode. stop working suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> the electronics mm. all stop working around her uh, building or something. Yeah. I think they well, they didn't bring Seamus, I guess. Really. So, to Laura, is said, you know, if she's dreaming of fire, she might make fire. And Bones is like, why didn't you tell me? We need to take precautions. And she said, well, she could be dreaming of fluffy bunnies, too. <laughs> uh, Bones is just like, fuck. You <laughs> start conjuring verbal. And coffee. I want these things off the ship. I don't care if it takes every man we've got. I want them off the ship. Hey, they're into the machinery, all right. That would also be bad. Triple bunnies? Triple bunnies, yeah. Well, you know, that would be Rabbits are <laughs> like rabbits. My Tribble's behind me. I should watch out for him. Uh, mm-hmm. So they get... I was reading um, another fic this afternoon, just a, a one-shot in which um, Tribble take over Darth Vader's flagship. So he has to go off. He has to be on the the worst ship in the fleet because all the other ones are off on missions, and uh, it, it uh, destroys his um, uniform because the cleaning thing and the his suite isn't working, and all this stuff happens. And he falls down to the tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> Those darn tribbles. Really then he has one as a pet, so it's okay. <laughs> you kept one as a pet? <laughs> yep. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> the, the emperor comes to visit and is not impressed. Uh, is that in the original series? Or is that one of the other ones? Uh, I think it's, it's just a uh, completely different fact I just found. Oh no, 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 the Tribbles though. Which are they in the original series? Or are they in like next generation or something? The Tribbles are in the original series, but there is a slight crossover with the original series and Next Generation called Trouble with Tribbles. Actually, that oh, um, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's a crossover. I haven't got to that one. That I've, one was actually happy. my very, very first podcast. I, I bribed Ryan. I said, Ryan, <laughs> if you'll let me podcast, I'll get you a guy that used to work on Star Trek, and he will talk about the behind-the-scenes stuff. And Ryan said, sure, come on over. Let's do this. Yep. And that was what we did. We did Trouble with Tribbles. And thought that wouldn't have to. It's true. It's kind of scary. Look how far I've <laughs> If it come. weren't for Tribbles. <laughs> if it weren't for Tribbles, I wouldn't be here now. Oh, goodness. I think that sounds like a really good title. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's named for soon. Huh. Yeah. I'll bet. Yep. Oh. Anyway, to um, get back from my tangent there. Yes, bring uh, us back. They've got Spark. They brought Spock into the sick bay because he can anchor Hermione, and then she won't set things on fire, hopefully. Okay. She, and so Talara gives him some instructions and say, okay, we're, 
for waiting until she's in this particular stage of the trance, and then it'll be safe to actually meld with her and you can bring her out the rest of the way. Yeah, and he's got to give her different hypos along the way, too. But basically, he just crawls in bed with her and holds her, um, using skin-to-skin contact as much as possible. But to do that, he strips down to probably just underwear. And, uh, he's got his, um, he, he takes off the blue overshirt. He's got his black top and um, um, his undershirt as well. Still. Or no. Yeah, he, I guess he takes, he's topless, basically. He takes off yeah, his, he's, he's got his forearm against her. So he yeah, can't have his, his shirt on there. Yeah. yeah, crawls into bed and he loosens her, the ties of her hospital gown so that her back is against his front. But what we find out is that he's covered in tattoos. Well, they're not really tattoos. They just look like tattoos. Which oh, I mean, definitely pretty much uh, show the different highlights of his life. Mm-hmm. And he's gone a little bit further with them than most Vulcans would. Because, mm-hmm. uh, he's got very elaborate affiliation markings to um, the various women in his life and things mm-hmm. like that. And the ones along the arms are their marriage bond tattoos, and he aligns his with hers, and that just sort of makes sparks happen again, and he can really feel what she's going through because of them. Mm-hmm. And he's having a little bit of trouble uh, keeping her calm because she's pushing the limits in the tram. Mm-hmm. But eventually she gets into this... Um, particular stage that they're looking for and he, he injects her with the last hypo and then goes into Mel and they can actually talk now. Right. And basically when she comes out of it, she's horny and wants to <laughs> get up and go into a private area as quickly as possible but Harry's there and Harry's not keen on her having relations with Spock. So we have this fun little interval where she does her best to embarrass Harry. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much. Because first you say Spock is too rigid, and then you say he indulges my emotional my emotionalism too much, and you should make up your mind. And, um, I thought you'd be reassured to know that he's um, taking care of all of my needs, and if you're still not sure about things, I could share more details. Harry, <laughs> <laughs> like, strangled sound. <laughs> no! And he's like, don't put those images in my mind, no! Then he talks about, she says, it's amazing the amount of privacy you can find using a broom or a carpet. And the humans are all like, broom? Carpet? What in the heck are they talking about? Not having any idea about <laughs> magical things. They don't fly. Yeah. She's also like, uh, you would have to know why about 87% of our associates and acquaintances kept interrupting us whenever Spock managed to like, tr- uh, take a trip over to Vulcan. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you, Harry? And then she goes on to share more details, and he's like, ah, okay, I don't want to know anymore. Just, just, why do you do that to me? Ah. She tells him to cease his attempts at protecting her virtue, because uh, she doesn't want it protected at this point. Well, basically, she no longer has virtue to protect. Yeah, that. She didn't really want to know. No, at this point, Harry's got his fingers in his ears and he's going, la 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 la. But it's not working. He's actually got his hands over his ears. 
So <laughs> she turns to the healer and says, forgive the emotional display, but Harry can be overly stubborn. And the healer's like, okay, I think that you need two hours of rest, but you don't need to do it here. I think Spock should take you somewhere where you can rest. <laughs> and Harry's mm-hmm. yeah, definitely like, resting. Um, yeah, that's not really resting, is it? And uh, she's like, well, I'm not telling them what they can or can't do. Mm-hmm. And McCoy's like, yeah, you just told him to go shagger. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I love Harry. She says, I can't, I can't control how they choose to spend their time. I need a brain scrub. <laughs> I need to be obliv- obliviated. Wait, I just need to get drunk. I need chocolate. And McCoy's like, I've got some, some brandy. And Harry's like, brandy doesn't do anything. I need chocolate to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did not um, no. know from anywhere. I don't know if that's a canon Dolphin thing or if you've made that up. Yeah, I have no idea, but I thought it was really funny. Kind of fun. Apparently, chocolate makes Vulcans drunk in this universe. That Vulcan Or at least chocolate makes wizard uh, Vulcans drunk. I'm not sure. It should be. So, uh, Christine uh, offers to share her stash. Apparently, she has some chocolate. Yeah, well, she's a good nurse. She'd have a stash of chocolate. And our next scene is Kirk refusing to let his gaze fall below Tamiya's collarbones because he doesn't want to make Spock mad at him. And she is Spock's <laughs> fiance, and I know what they've been doing for the last two hours, so I'm not going to go there. La 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 la. Yeah, it's okay. kind of those uh, never think of a purple elephant situation. Um, yeah, and the purple yeah. elephants are like exploding all over the room. Mm-hmm. Elephants, whatever elephants. Yeah. So she explains pretty much what they've done and says that mm-hmm. they can the, do it. They made she- Vulcan vanish using um, experimental technology capable of cloaking vast volumes of space more thoroughly than Romulans and Klingons can. Yeah. <laughs> They're sort of reversing uh, Clark's third law. Mm-hmm. What is that? Is that just a Star Trek law, or is that like an actual law? No. Arthur C. Clark came up with some various laws. I actually don't know what any of the other ones are, but the third one is any sufficiently advanced technology is in- indistinguishable from magic. So they're sort of doing oh. our magic spell is indistinguishable from advanced technology. <laughs> I remember Googling that when I read this. You are, yes. yeah, I, I don't remember what the other ones are either, but out there, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Vulcans do apparently get drunk off chocolate. Uh, oh, there, there was an episode, so, yeah, <laughs> it went kind of crazy. <laughs> the power of Google. Gotta love it. Woohoo. What did they do before that? Oh, yeah, Blackberry. Yeah, they didn't do anything. So we... Yeah, they really want to go look it up to do it Oh, and yeah. the book. That would be fun. They wrote to magazines. Oh, true. Fancy letters. Letters? What are those? Oh, wait. That's an antique thing that you used to do with the post office. Mm-hmm. And the post Where you express. write words using ink and paper and uh, fold them and put them in something called an envelope. An envelope. And, uh, <laughs> oh, and you have to put a stamp on it. And I was talking about Snail Mile. And- I told her just to enter, 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 enter until she, yeah. you know, ran out of stamps. And everyone's like, no, whenever we place things, I'm like, yeah, I'm not winning. So I put in like six or seven entries. And it's just you put your name, address, and phone number on a piece of paper and send it in. And everyone's mocking me, you know. I entered the competition at Snail Mile, blah, blah, blah. It's not even a I wasn't mocking you. 
didn't mock you. you. I didn't mock you. you I crossed my fingers for you. Mr. Kessa mocked me from here to eternity. He thought it was the most ridiculous thing he'd ever seen. I went out and bought stamps because, you know, I never post anything anymore. Went out and bought stamps to end his competition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't go. Yeah. We're going to have people who won't get the, um, uh, what starts with E and ends with E and contains one letter thing. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Uh, so she pretty much explains to them what has happened and she lets them know that they can have 25 minutes where they can basically hide the ship and they can sneak right up onto the Narada, but that they, um, they've got to come That's up with something they can to do in that point, you know, at that point. And she yeah. says that, you know, she talks about the power grid, the natural power grid on the planet, and that's what they use, the planetary magnetic fields. And no, well, that's what Jim thinks she means. Yeah. And um, then magnetic Terry field. sort of gets impatient and says, okay, <laughs> everybody, magic's real. It's, it's play lines. It's Call it magic. Magic stuff. Magic. <laughs> magic. Mm-hmm. Uh. And basically, she talks about... Um, Montgomery Scott, and that you ch- we need to get Scott up, Montgomery Scott on board. And they say, well, it'll take seven hours. And she says, well, maybe I can just talk to him in private. And we switch scenes, and it says, three hours later, Kirk's not sure exactly how it happened, but one Montgomery Scott has arrived on the ship. I uh, mm-hmm. don't just know. 20 minutes uh, after uh, Tamiya was patched through to Delta Vega. <laughs> Yeah, but he he's got up, his um, transport thing the bar. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but Scott's turned out to be a godsend, and he's he can do all their extra engineering things that their current people haven't figured out yet. Mm-hmm. I just realized that the throwaway line about him mumbling about a very weird, very old Vulcan was, yeah, that was old Spock. Old Spock. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that still happens. All right. Yep. Sorry. Go on. Mm-hmm. That's where um, that's where Scotty got the equations for transwarp beaming was from Spock the Elder. Mm-hmm. Yes, and Spock got from Scotty the Younger. I think. <laughs> Didn't it's he? Kind of fun. It's one of those those uh, uh, I'm circles. Yeah, time loop mm-hmm. that works better. So they figure out that the only way that they're going to get on the Narada is when. It deploys the drilling platform. They have this little window before the drilling actually starts where the shields are down, and they can beam uh, some people over. And Kirk says he's going, and Spock says, no, you can't. The only people that can go are Vulcans because we have that technology. You get to be captain. And Kirk's like, (laughs) damn, (laughs) but I want to go. Oh, no. But he's he's excited to be captain, too, but... Mm-hmm. And Jim says, well, we can't just send Spock by himself, and, uh, but they're not going to. They're sending all of them. Harry's going to go. It's going to be Spock and Harry going. Yeah, because he's the best at um, the more practical aspects of defense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can shoot him down. Yeah. He's used to battle and stuff. That was yeah. terrible. Yeah. Do this. And McCoy figures they should set up... Uh, Trio stations on all the decks and in particular areas like engineering where mm-hmm. they have problems. And Chekhov has 
group, when the checkout pursue, uh, I think it was checkout, we said we can, first we can work in behind the moon and then we can get closer without having to start the whole cloaking thing until later and then make the best use of their 25 minutes. Right. And we jump to Sick Bay where the two Vulcans are being fitted with jewelry. And mm-hmm. a, yeah, Harry's not happy about getting his ear pierced. And McCoy actually calls him a teenage girl. And Harry's like, I'm a Vulcan. And, and finally, uh, Tamia says, the ear is pretty much in a, you know, erogenous zone. And what you're doing is very, very intimate. And she kind of takes the gun. It says she wrestles the, the gun from him, from the doctor. And just pretty much gives uh, Spock a, a few a push and starts playing with his ear and pierces his ear in three places and then puts this jewelry in it. And Spock's like uh, going nuts with sexual tension and actually holds her hand very tightly, which is the equivalent of a very steamy kiss in Vulcan. So... Harry looks at Christine and says, Do you mind? I'd rather you do this than old Dr. McCoy over there. And she says, What do I need to do? And they, you know, just pierce it three times. And she says, Okay. And she leans over and she whispers to him. And his eyes kind of pop open. And Spock and, and Hermione have heard it. And basically, she says, If you come back in one piece, I'll uh, show you a good time. And he's like, uh, uh, Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> he promised not to jump her because, you know, he can control his natural reactions as much as possible. Yeah. Yes, we've been sort of skirting over the more um, steamy dialogue. There's not like a ton of it, but it's yeah. more like, the, oh no, his, his ear is being touched by skin instead of kissing or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. When we shift back to the, um... <laughs> oh dear. Oh, the Ferengi. Oh man. Noobs. I haven't experienced them in anything. Ah. They, they're, they're next generation a lot. Their ears are very much, uh, sexual organs. Mm. So, but yeah, go ahead. Uh. <laughs> Take us to the next scene, Scott. So we jump to when they when they've started their uh, twenty five minute countdown, and Spock and Harry have been beamed over to the Narada. Jim is fidgeting; he wants to know what's going on. Fortunately, the Fidelius is holding, and they still have communication, and there's no indication that the Narada knows they're there. Right. And basically, they can hear everything that's going on from Spock and Harry through an open communication, but it's not a two-way communication. They can't talk to them. They can just listen. And mm-hmm. Because they don't want to run into the um, fun thing where the walkie-talkie goes off while they're in the middle of hiding from somebody. Uh, yeah. Or okay. cell phone rings and things like that that happen so often in our uh, TV shows. <laughs> But unfortunately, they have beamed into an unauthorized so they're having to take out some people first before they can mm-hmm. get what they were meaning to do. 
And it's really interesting because the sounds that they hear aren't like any kind of fire that they expect to hear. And what they're hearing is spells, but they don't know that. It's kind of interesting because they're like, what in the world is going on over there? But they get to spot. Say it again. <laughs> I said they're hearing like, bam, pow, pow. Yeah. There you go. Not just like, pew, 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 pew. pew. I'm slightly tired. <laughs> That's all right. Right, we're almost done with this chapter, and then we're, we'll... That is true. Good. I've almost run out of caffeine. Uh-oh. You're going to fall asleep on us. That's good. Oh, no, no, That's good, that's good time. So, the there. they get into the uh, old Spock's ship, and there's a slight discussion about whether or not they're actually going to destroy it, because it's got really cool information on it. But the agreement with Q was that they were going to destroy it. So, Spock authorizes the computer to carry out some modifications and basically they turn it into a time bomb. Yeah. And then they go hunting for Pike, who is not in very good shape. Mm-hmm. And there is an increasingly irrational Romulan uh, lashing out all over the place because they know there's an in- there's intruders on board, but they can't find them. <laughs> They don't know how they got there or where the ship is that they came from or anything like that. But they, you know, Kirk says, or Harry says, that we'll get Pike back to, to Laura and to Mia and they can take care of him. He'll survive. He may not want to survive, but he'll survive. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about it. They're very good at what they do. Yeah, and even if they can't do as much as needed... They can put him in a trance and wait till Luna's better because she's um, better at healing and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. And they so they call over to the Enterprise. There's three to transport, and meanwhile Hermione is um, she's programming the transport herself because she can sense exactly where Spocky is, mm-hmm. and she's using him as the fixed point. Right. And just um, whenever when she's almost ready, she tells Spock, "Okay, hold still for a second, and then they transfer over." Right. And they've got about 1 minute 33 seconds left of their hiding, and then they're going to be seen. So they hustle over to the bridge, and Yuhura is uh, trying not to bite her nails. And Sulu says, once the cloak failed, they've spotted us, so we set a course into the soul system, and they followed us there. So we're going to drop no, out they're trying to get out of the soul system. That's where they are. Soul okay. systems are, um, and they're trying to lead them away from the planet. Oh, clear of, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Because it's set to go off, right? Set to go mm-hmm. off. Yeah. They don't want near Earth. No. <laughs> and so, Kirk says, open a channel, and um, he gets yelled at from by Nero for a while. Mm-hmm. He wants to know, where is this Vulcan? He's ruined everything. It's all ruined. And, uh, Kirk says, okay, so you're ready to surrender? <laughs> no! <laughs> I will destroy you first. Well, your world. Mm-hmm. And then we discover that there's a major breach happening on the Dorada, that the warp field is collapsing and there's gravitational fluxes and all sorts of things. And Harry uh, lets Nero know that the uh, red matter containment has been breached and it will be the ship will be consumed in a black hole within 2.1 minutes. Mm-hmm. And would you like our help now? And Nero's like, I would rather die! And he's like, okay, ah, nice one. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. 
And then he doesn't even try to convince me. And he's like, okay, I have a chance. Just fire you know. on him. Yeah. Then he says, okay, let's go home. And they start We're to leave, up. but they're stuck in the black hole, too. And the only way, really, to get out of there, according to uh, Chekhov and Scotty, is to blow the antimatter, eject the core, and detonate it. And then, hopefully, the blast will be enough to push him away. I can't promise mm-hmm, sure. you, sir. Do it! Do it now! Yeah. Uh, yeah. He gets a chance to say, I'm giving her all she's got, Tom! Yeah. He gets to say that so many times. <laughs> This is the first time he uh, I think it. that's one of his um, classic lines that everybody knows this happens so much. Or maybe it doesn't happen that much, but people just remember it. I don't know. Possibly that one, because there's some that are never said, and people will remember them anyway. That is true. Like, Sherlock never said um, elementary, my dear Watson, for example. And I don't think they ever actually said, beat me up, Scotty. Nope. Kind of a variation, variation of that. Oh, well. And we're on to the final chapter, which is called Aftermath. And uh, Spock and Hermione are having tea. Yes, they are. And they're kind of talking about how unexpectedly mature and compassionate Kirk had been as he Mm -hmm. offered aid to the Narada's crew. And they're trying to figure out what are they going to tell the Admiralty. Scott says... And Spock just says... We'll let the Velcroon High Council deal with that. Mm-hmm. They just mark everything classified, then the Federation won't be able to do anything about it. Yeah, they'll be like, but, 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 no, but, no, and they'll be like, it's secret, trade secret, can't tell you. Yeah. Okay, stuff. Wouldn't understand anyway. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Wouldn't. No, they wouldn't, because it's all magic, and they don't understand they don't, the magic. They don't like magic. Well, they're like mm-hmm. the same. So he said, she says, Although, well, what if Hermione they... and Luna have come up with all sorts of uh, equations and things, so they can always baffle them with those, but mm-hmm. they won't understand that either. That's true. <laughs> and he says, well, if they start to pressure me, I'll just resign. And she says, won't you regret that? And he says, no, I have you. And I wouldn't say that I would do it unless I was willing to do it. Yeah. He doesn't want to unless there aren't any other options, but he will. And he if, if he has to, he can always join uh, Vulcan Science Academy ship and um, be an exploration officer on one of their ships, or he could teach at the academy. They've offered yeah. and he's a couple a good of teacher. positions in the past. So. Even though it is ironic that uh, I think they say the Vulcan who refused to study at the Vulcan Science Academy is being asked to teach there. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And then we switch to Harry, who's having trouble concentrating, and there's this knock at the door. <laughs> Enter? Well, it's Nurse Ch- Chapel. Chapel. And uh, I'm looking at it going, Chappelle. No, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> no. And no, not quite. He's like, uh, why are you here? And she said, I think you know. And he said, I am not going to hold you to that promise. And she said, that's okay, because I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have a little bit of skin-on-skin contact, we'll say. Mm-hmm. I think she misses half of what she says. Uh, yeah. And then eventually she says, you know, I'm not expecting we commit forever, but um, she wants a chance. Yeah. And, uh, so like, I know Vulcan goes for it. So, good time to consider it. Mm-hmm. He says if he were any kind of purist, he would have rejected the human nurse. But he was not. Nope. So. He's a grown-up human. Mm-hmm. He might be kind of mostly Vulcan now, but uh, he's not exactly going to start going along with the no-emotion ways, because Harry's not good at that. No. Harry's no. not good at clearing his emotions. 
50 years, anything to go by. <laughs> There's actually a line that says, sport, like, meditating is worse than optimistic yeah. training. Mm-hmm. So then we shift to Jim and Spock. Spock. And, uh, and he's, uh, he's offered <laughs> coffee to Spock, and Spock's declined. And he, he thinks to himself, Spock always declines the fun stuff. No smoking, caffeine, booze, narcotics, sugar, junk food. But he was definitely not declining sex. And then Jim wonders if sex with a Vulcan is different than regular sex. <laughs> and then Spock's like, Spock it says is. it is. It is. <laughs> and Jim's like, what? He's like, wait, what? Your How'd thoughts, you hear that? Your thoughts are loud, dude. Very, very loud. Well, he says, your yeah, thoughts are could. loud, but also, you know, I've observed that male humanoids tend to react in similar ways in introduce to what they consider as asexual. So, uh, mm-hmm. you're just predictable, Jim. That's all. That's all it is. Yeah. You can't read your thoughts without touching you, but he knows what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. They, and uh, they've had contact from Starfleet Command. Uh, they aren't going to get towed in because they've got other priorities happening. So it'll take them 11 days to reach um, where they're going. Yeah, I think and, uh, back to Earth. Yeah, they're going to uh, get dragged. They aren't going to get to do their full debriefing because the Vulcan High Council won't let them. But they have to wait to work that out later. We talk about Pike a little bit. He's healing, but he's still, he's probably not going to run again, so he won't be, um, he won't be allowed on an exploration level. So he's got to have a desk job now. Yeah. He says, well, they'll probably offer you the Enterprise. And Spock says, and I will refuse. Christopher knows my interests lie in sciences and not command. I'm willing to be first officer, but being captain will limit me. He really wants to be doing research. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's got to look at the world. He's got to have more priorities. Yeah. yeah, and so Jim sort of asks about Hermione, and mm-hmm. they talk he's, about that a little he'd bit. He never realized that he had a bond with the person... And they said, yeah, they left that out the records deliberately at the time. And uh, what they're planning to do is, um, if possible, get her hired on aboard the Enterprise. Or if that won't work, he'll go join her wherever she can go. I was kind of curious um, why, if there was a reason why they didn't, like, have it on the records at all. Because, um, like, it wouldn't, I don't think they would think it would matter to most people, but it's, Usually, the thing you do is put it on the records. But then I was like, maybe because he doesn't really have a background. So, if I tried to investigate him for um, being engaged to this strange person from who knows where, there might have been issues getting the Narada um, fixed properly if they were questioning him and he couldn't get there in time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I don't know. Probably something I wasn't like sure that. if that would work. Yeah. And, uh, Basically, Spock says, well, if they have questions about Tamiya or anything like that, they can try to get their answers from Tapa. And Jim smiles and says, thinks to himself, he wishes he could be a fly on the wall if Barnett or Cormac try to pry details out of her, because she would make mincemeat out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's going to recommend strongly in his report that Tamiya gets assigned to the Enterprise as a civilian researcher, so that mm-hmm. Spock can stay too. Right. And then we shift to Amanda Grayson's point of view. We haven't heard from her in this whole set of chapters. But she has come right back from the colony planet that Mm -hmm. she was sent off to to uh, see where what's going on with her family. And no one's there. So she's woken by Tafal 
and um, wants to know where Sarek is, and he's on the Enterprise. He's going to be the ambassador to the Federation Council. Right. And she wants to know what happened. And Paul says, well, everything occurred as we expected, and now the Federation wants answers, answers that we cannot, must not give. And so she asks after everyone's health and finds out that they're all okay. And they're... Luna's still in healing cramps, but the rest of them are up and around. Yep. She'll be fully healed. To Luna will be fully healed in about 30 hours. Yeah. Oh, Statue of Secrets. The Statue of Secrecy has been replaced by It's a Vulcan Secret. Yes, yes. Secrecy. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Just different reason they can't tell Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that would have made Amanda comes different. up with an idea to um, to attach Luna to her staff, basically, so she can head off to Earth and see uh, Hermione and Harry and Everybody. Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and she heads. Yeah. She's got her bags all packed, and she's ready to go. And there's one person, a junior healer, who is accompanying Luna just in case. And she's like, I didn't expect you. And he says, well, I asked to come. And I have a feeling that this is Luna's bow. Because uh-huh. we know that, right. that there's someone that she likes, too. And I'm guessing that this is him. Yeah, she was uh, making eyes with him earlier. <laughs> and he was being oblivious. Yeah. And Amanda but says... But I think she went and told him. Yeah. Don't propose to her right away. When she wakes up, she's going to be more worried about Harry and Tamiya. When she sees with their, her own eyes that they're okay, then you can talk to her. But get to know her first. Mm-hmm. And she basically is. suggests that they go dating because she did start out as a human. And uh, that's what they do, even though their minds are compatible. He doesn't understand. Our minds are compatible. Then we should just get together. She's like, no, you got to take it easy first. See if the rest of you is compatible. And then she goes over his responses to the um, uh, if uh, if the Federation sciences and people ask him things, what would he say? And, uh, so they're sort of doing the the uh, prosecutor's consultation thing. Yeah. <laughs> and the answer is basically you can't use it anyway. Yeah. You can't use it anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. You don't need to know it. Mm-hmm. I know nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. What is the fifth something? Is that the fifth amendment or yeah. something like that? Yeah, that you don't have to discriminate yourself. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so basically you want blueprints and then you say, well, you, it, they're useless. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I say, you don't have the technology to build them, and if you built them, you couldn't use them because uh, you're psychically null. So. And then we shift back to Spark. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Starfleet PR has uh, made plans for how they're going to go on to Earth, and uh, acting Captain Kirk refuses to send the um, the priests and priestesses down because mm-hmm. cultural differences. Right. Mm-hmm. And as the shuttle lands, um, Kirk's the first one out, and Spock follows, and Tamea's right behind him, and there's someone there. Komek? Komek? I'm not sure. And yeah. I think it's it's mom or dad or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, comic and comic or something. Yeah. So <laughs> he greets them and McCoy goes off to see his daughter. Mm-hmm. He's also there. Yeah. McCoy as a kid? Yes. He's the um, he's his wife has custody and doesn't much like him. 
so he doesn't get to see his daughter oh, very often. Okay. But she's, uh, I think she's older now, so she kind of mm-hmm. made this decision to come, would be my guess. Well, in this one it says she's swinging a little dark haired, a dark haired little girl, so she's not grown up quite yet. Not yet. But maybe she's old enough to see him. Yeah, or that's one of the, it's in the, so mm-hmm. I believe it's in the scene where, um, he and Kirk first meet on the shuttle to, um, to the academy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about how his ex-wife has, uh, stripped him down to the bones and something yeah. like that. That's what this nickname comes from oh. in this version. Yep. Right, yeah. Not some, like, medical bones or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it used to be from Sawbones, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So the Federation has agreed to, the Federation Council and Starfleet Admiralty has agreed to abide by the Vulcan's High Council's decision to classify the information. And they'll have to uh, take precautions against black ops seeking data. And Harry wants to know what happens if we catch the spies. Who has authority? And they said, hmm, Vulcan does. Ooh. Yeah. Sweet. And but they would have trouble transporting everybody to Vulcan to get tried if that happens. So they've got um they're going to post an officer on the Enterprise with Spock and uh, mm-hmm. money. And uh, Harry wants to know, hmm, anyone we know? And he says Oh well <laughs> a certain person was recommended who have to have the same name as you. <laughs> yeah. Would you be interested? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, offered a field promotion for your recent actions. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'd love to. And like, you just want to stay with your uh, possible girlfriend. Yep, girlfriend. And his ears turn green. <laughs> yep. And he says, no, that's yeah. not it. I just don't want you and Spock gallivanting all over the universe without me. Yeah. And, uh, Luna decided not to go on the Enterprise. She'd rather keep working with her various fertilizers and things on Vulcan. She's got all sorts of research to do. Yeah. She gets her eyes all blowy and says, half uh, ahead will be difficult, but very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. you got to pay attention to the glowy eyes. <laughs> we yep. find out that they've got about seven weeks of downtime because it's going to take six weeks to repair the ship. And there's going to be press conferences and events and stuff like that. Harry wants to know if he can come and uh, the public, it's not open to the public unless you're invited, but uh, if he takes the position, then he'll be considered part of the crew, so. Yeah. Then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that works. It does work. Mm-hmm. And Luna smiles smugly because everything's falling into place, just like she'd seen. And mm-hmm. when the Enterprise... Well, she's pretty <laughs> sure by the time they're done the five-year mission, she's going to be an ant. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, ha, 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 yay. It'll be fun. And then, and then we have uh, a scene that mostly is, well, it's sort of based on the one from the movie in which uh, Spock Elder is there to watch Kirk get captaincy of the Enterprise. And uh, there are two new people he doesn't recognize at all. And uh, apparently his younger self has a bondmate that he never remembers meeting. Mm-hmm. He's like, what's going on with this lady? She spends a little bit of time with him, and, uh, oops, sorry, the cat yeah, just jumped up my bed and distracted me. Uh, she she comes up and addresses him as ambassador, which uh, his new identity isn't, so he says, you're mistaken, and, uh, and she reveals that she knows exactly who he is. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
magic. magic. And, uh, I know who you are. <laughs> some of she is as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's Q who's done it. <laughs> Q changed you into a Vulcan hybrid? Not exactly. I did that to myself. But Q sent me. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And they talk about how they met in dreams and things like that, and, uh, and he, he, explain a little bit about where she comes from, basically, and how she had this terrible vision about what would have happened without her. And she says something about magic, and he says, there is no such thing as magic. And she doesn't take offense, but his younger self looks amused. <laughs> so, but she says, um, she yeah, she talks about herself and explains about her being born human, and um, she and some of her to say life positive, yeah. she, she doesn't go into detail there. And then her vision of Vulcan being destroyed, and so how she accepted the offer to come to this time. And um, he wants to know what happened um, with Supreme, and uh, Spock says he broke lab betrothal before joining Starfleet, because having known Hermione in his thoughts when he was younger and wasn't willing to settle. Yeah, and she, she lets him know that the entire Vulcan race would have been reduced to less than 100,000, and Selleck's blood freezes. And she says, I couldn't yeah. stand by and let that happen, so I've come. I've come to save the world! Da-da-da-da. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So basically, um, so like says to Spock that he's lucky for having such a connection this early because he didn't find one until much later. It was more of a, a mental um, compatibility than anything. And um, I don't, I don't remember it. I, am, I imagine that must be from somewhere in the earlier series, but I don't know who that would be. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> He talks about how his betrothed pretty much dumped him because she didn't want to be wife to a legend. And uh, she basically gets Kirk to uh, fight to be her champion. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing is from an episode of the original series. Right. Um, and Spock mentions that, no, it wasn't anything you messed up. She was already having an affair with this other guy in my timeline anyway. So. And so she says, if you wish to return to, or somebody says, if you wish to return to Vulcan, we can speak with Sarek and Amanda. And you can share, oh, Spock says this, you can share your history or not. And uh, Selleck considers the offer and says, you know, I, I'll think about it. Because most of his life he wasn't around the Vulcan because he spent all of it on the ship. And mm-hmm. so he would, you know, look forward to living in this changed new world. Yeah. So he's like, you might want to let Derek so know that I'll contact him. Mm-hmm. I'll be calling him in the next three days sometime. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that's the end. Dun, dun, dun. There is, as Rachel mentioned, a glossary page, so we'll, we will link that for everybody as well if you want to have that before you read the text. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mostly it's fairly um, 
I hadn't realized it was there. Most of it is relatively easy to figure out from context. Like yeah. Things yeah. like mom and dad. Some of the more um, less straightforward ones, like mom and dad, usually pretty good to figure out. Mm-hmm. More like the beloved stuff of the ancient training. Or, I don't know how much of this she actually used. I don't remember seeing all those words. Yeah. I don't remember because I listened to them. Mm-hmm. I think all of the terms in here are used at least once, but um, okay. I don't remember all of them showing up, but they were. Yeah. I think so. Um, apparently, executive officer, first officer, second mm-hmm. and That really confused me at first. I was like, what's an XO? What? Isn't that like hugs and kisses? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have not watched you hug- Battleship Battle <laughs> Park Galactic. Because mm-hmm. huh? that's where XO, that's where PS gets her XO from. So the Battlestar oh. Galactica. No, I I've, seen a, I've seen random episodes of Babylon 5 because my dad was watching it on the series tapes. So I'd come down and he'd be like five episodes later. And I was like, no, you have to let me catch up. Stop watching them. You're going to, oh. And I never got to see long because he returned this and got the next one. Aw. He was probably a friend. It was one of the wonderful Chinese versions. <laughs> so, yeah. It was, yeah, I don't know. He got the whole series off somewhere. Um, or cheap, possibly. It, it had Chinese writing on the back, or some sort of Oriental writing. So I don't know how good the quality was, but uh, mm-hmm. we didn't have cheap. So I've seen random episodes of that, but I have no idea where I'm going to have time with it, because I don't remember character names. Mm-hmm. I've never it seen it, so... Yeah, but that's not Battlestar Galactica, so that's not actually relevant. <laughs> that's true. We not should end this out. Oh, I... uh, yes, go on. Go Oh, I was going to say, look, I kind of figured out, I think, why at first it was a little hard to get into. Because there's sometimes a lot of exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's where, like, they're talking and telling you things in the dialogue, slash, they're telling you things a lot of the time. There's just a lot of information. Right. Um, and the other one she wrote after this, I think she sort of more spread out and made it less, like, telling us things and more like, here's what's happening, not I'm telling you what's happening. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, but well, um, you know that Hermione is the queen of exposition, so it works in this. And then Spock also, so <laughs> yeah, like with the fun. and it makes sense because they're Vulcans, but and Hermione. Uh, it, it was just sometimes I was like, oh man, there's just so much. Oh goodness. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, it was just that combined. I think with the the lack of telling about because the scenes you've already seen from the movie, you don't need to see again necessarily because you're you remember them. Right. So she just kind of skips parts, and then there's lots of telling you what's happening, and then skipping parts. And that was what confused me first when I didn't remember the movie. Um, <laughs> that yeah. part was a little bit, but I really, I really liked it overall. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Scott. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> Scott, you want to go? Um, generally, not much too more to say. I enjoyed the fact it was great fun to read. It was not too terribly long, although the chapters themselves were longer than some. Um, and, uh, yeah, as I said, I believe last time, it's not something I would have expected to, it's not something I would have sought out or looked for. Um, when I looked at it and, you know, for my Hermione's box fix, it's not something I would have thought of liking, but this was really well done. Um, and they they came up with plausible reason for the two of them to even meet each other. It's, as the respective smart ones in their canons, it does make some sense that they'd be fairly compatible. But um, 
generally it wouldn't you wouldn't expect them to meet at any point. So the way they've worked out here uh, does make things work quite well. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just a random, hey, suddenly she's in there with no explanation. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I thought was a little odd was um, I'm not sure it was really all that necessary for them to do the whole um, turning into Vulcan thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I (laughs) saw why they did that for just the general adoption purposes, but um, uh, it worked okay. Yeah. Yeah, it worked. Oh, I had a thought, and I just lost it. Never mind. Okay. Q can uh, cover up a, a myriad of of things and, and can be, you know, blamed for a lot of things or responsible for a lot of things. So using Q really worked in this because it's feasible. And if it's the Q that we all know and love, then it's even more feasible because he can't keep his hands out of the pie, even though he's not <laughs> supposed to. Uh, it kind of gets them. Yeah, but I liked, you know, I really liked the the thought process in this, and that it, the way it was put together really is feasible. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, there's Definitely. no such thing as Hermione and Spock in real life, but the the idea that these two could get together the way that they got together, and that the trio could go and save Vulcan works. It it really you know, it works. And I just really appreciate yeah. that writing. And I I thought it was a lot of fun. When I read it yeah. the first time I was just like, you know, this is fun and I think that it would be really fun to cover because it's different than anything I've ever read before and I think it's different than anything our listeners have probably read. And part of this season is to give us different fix. So I was really glad that it was available to, to do, and that it really did work out as well as it worked out. I mean, it could have started off as this great premise and just fallen apart, and it didn't do that. It was strong all the way through, it made sense all the way through, and it was just a lot of fun to read. So, I'm glad we did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for recommending it, too. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, like you were saying, it was it didn't like drop off. It kept being better, and it kept getting good near the end. It didn't just mm-hmm. start off and then fail. Most yeah. of the issues I had were probably like this setup, trying to get plot going the way it's supposed to. But once they got there, it was pretty good from there. Mm-hmm. And it was it was it was a lot of fun to read. Um, my <laughs> my favorite image is just like Harry as Vulcan, but he's still like Harry from because I think his was this written after all of books came out? I don't know. Oh, it was 2011. Yes, it was. It was after. But I just kept pushing like sort of like the younger, more like explosive Harry, mm-hmm. um, but with pointy ears and green skin and green. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just I just love that mental image, and I kind of want to like see if there's any more stuff like this just for that. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many of them are going to have, you know, Harry and the Spock Hermione fix. Yeah. So, uh, well, maybe just general Star Trek Harry Potter thing. Google probably. and just see what happens. But I have a feeling this is, is probably true. one of the better ones, and a lot of things that you find could be really, really bad. Well, there's... You never the, know. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of really bad fanfic, and then there's some good ones, and you just kind of have to find them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or develop a tolerance for terrible writing. But, uh... I prefer to find the ones that are good. It's but usually yeah. the better way to go. Recommendations. That's what you like. 
little thing slashing. You're tweeting while well the podcast? I'm not. No. Well, I did. I tweeted uh, Ivana Lynch a hug because she said something about needing a hug and nobody was around to give her one. So I sent her a Hufflepuff hug because I'm a Hufflepuff and I have to do these things. This is true. This is true. But I think we should say goodnight and I will turn off the recording. At some point I need to get mm-hmm. out of the wet clothes I'm sitting in. But I won't oh, do that on the podcast or on the line. My name is not <laughs> Bob. <laughs> so that wraps up our coverage of Soulbound by Sarfia, or however you actually pronounce her screen name. We always have trouble with that, but uh, mm-hmm. we very much enjoyed reading it. Hopefully you enjoyed, well, you enjoyed reading it, too, because if you didn't read it, well, I'm not sure why you're listening to this. I guess we kind of gave everything away. Uh, but, uh, yeah, next week we will move on to something else, and hopefully you'll come back for that as well. Mm-hmm. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.